Hi, my name is Dr. Sophia Katak and I'm an ST5 cardiology registrar in the West Midlands Deanery. I'll be talking about a couple of common cardiology conditions that hopefully by the end of this podcast you should feel more confident in managing. In every medical specialty, from primary care to general medicine, and even surgical specialties, you'll manage patients with chest pain. This could be stress-provoking in junior doctors who lack experience in cardiology and haven't managed patients with cardiac conditions. During my on-calls, I get several phone calls from junior doctors to interpret raised troponin in the context of tachyarrhythmias, infections and other conditions, and also management of angina in patients with known coronary artery disease but normal cardiac markers and ECG. I start off by discussing chronic coronary syndrome. It is the commonest cause of chest pain. Patients mostly present with a history of chest pain, which could be in a primary care setting or admission to the hospital. Further questions to ask in this situation would be the nature of the pain, to ascertain whether it is anginal, musculoskeletal, or any other cause such as pulmonary embolism or aortic dissection. Angina is primarily divided into three types. Typical angina, which comprises of one, substernal chest pain or pain in the neck, jaw, shoulder or arm. Two, that is precipitated by exertion or stress. And three, relieved by rest or GTN within five minutes. Atypical angina meets two of these three characteristics, and if none of these are present, it is non-anginal chest pain. Patients with chronic coronary syndrome can present in various ways. They could present with stable angina symptoms or dyspnea, mainly on exertion. If they have symptoms at rest, it will be classed as unstable angina. Patients may also present with new onset heart failure or LV dysfunction on echocardiogram. Before any tests are considered, we must assess the patient's general health, comorbidities and quality of life. If revascularization is unlikely to be an acceptable option, medical therapy may be the best appropriate treatment. Basic tests include a resting 12-lead ECG, chest x-ray, blood tests such as full blood count, eusinase, lipid profile, and screening for diabetes is also recommended in patients with suspected or established chronic coronary syndrome. This could be in the form of a random blood glucose check, and if raised, HbA1c or fasting blood glucose can be performed. It may also be useful to do a troponin test. Chest x-ray is particularly useful in patients with atypical presentations or with any signs and symptoms of heart failure, such as breathlessness, peripheral edema, and raised JVP on examination, or any suspicion of lung disease. Tests for coronary artery disease investigation can be subdivided into non-invasive and invasive tests. Among non-invasive, CT coronary angiogram is recommended as an initial test for diagnosing coronary artery disease in symptomatic patients. Other tests include functional imaging for myocardial ischemia. These are stress tests such as dobutamine stress echo, treadmill tests, or stress MRI. Invasive tests such as coronary angiogram is recommended in patients with a high clinical likelihood and severe symptoms refractory to medical therapy or typical angina at low level of exercise. Lifestyle recommendation is most important first-line treatment in this patient group. Smoking cessation, healthy diet by limiting alcohol, saturated fat, physical activity, 30 to 60 minutes moderate physical activity most days and maintaining a healthy weight. Other risk factors include high blood pressure. It's recommended to control systolic blood pressure of around 120 to 130 millimeters of mercury in general and 130 to 140 millimeters of mercury if they are greater than 65 years of age. Diabetics have a twofold increased risk of coronary artery disease. ACE inhibitors are recommended in chronic coronary syndrome patients with diabetes for event prevention. SGLT2 inhibitors such as empagliflozin are recommended in patients with diabetes and cardiovascular disease. GLP-1 receptor antagonists 
such as liraglutide, semaglutide, are also recommended in patients with diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Likewise, chronic kidney disease is also an important risk factor with a high incidence of ACS in patients with end-stage renal failure. It is recommended for any risk factors to be controlled to target values. During coronary angiogram, efforts are made to minimise administration of excess contrast and joint management with renal team is recommended if there is a need for dialysis. Family screening is recommended in patients with premature cardiovascular disease, which is less than 50 years of age or first degree relative with male less than 55 and females less than 65 years of age. In terms of treatment, standard therapy is a beta blocker or a calcium channel blocker. Second line is a beta blocker and a dihydropyridine calcium channel blocker. And third line is adding second line agents such as nitrates, nicorandil and or ranolazine. Aspirin 75 milligrams is also recommended in patients with prior MI or revascularization. Alternatively, clopidogrel in those intolerant to aspirin is recommended. It's also recommended to start them on lipid lowering agents and ACE inhibitors if they have history of heart failure, hypertension or diabetes. Now moving on to acute coronary syndrome or acute myocardial infarction. The patient presents with acute chest discomfort described as pain, pressure, tightness or burning like sensation similar to indigestion. Based on ECG, they can be subdivided into ST elevation myocardial infarction or non-ST elevation myocardial infarction. ST elevation myocardial infarction reflects total or subtotal coronary occlusion. Mainstay of treatment is immediate reperfusion by primary coronary intervention or fibrinolytic therapy if timely PCI is not possible. Amongst the NSTEMI group, there may be transient ST elevation, persistent or transient ST depression, T-wave inversion or flattening. Acute myocardial infarction is diagnosed with detection of a race cardiac marker such as troponin T or I and at least one of the following symptoms. Symptoms of MI, which I've just discussed above, new ECG changes, development of pathological Q waves, echocardiogram showing regional wall motion abnormalities consistent with ischemia and angiogram finding of intracoronary thrombus. Myocardial infarctions are of a few types. The most common is type 1 MI, which is characterized by atherosclerotic plaque rupture, erosion, ulceration resulting in intramural thrombus formation in one of the coronary arteries. This results in reduced blood flow to the myocardium resulting in necrosis. Type 2 MI is a myocardial necrosis from imbalance between myocardial oxygen supply and demand. There's also types 3, 4 and 5, which are less commonly used terms. I certainly haven't made a diagnosis during my clinical training. Another thing to bear in mind is that elevated troponin is not a specific marker to myocardial infarction. Other conditions resulting in cardiomyocyte injury and therefore raised troponin include tachyarrhythmias, heart failure, hypertensive emergencies, myocarditis, Kakadzuba syndrome, valvular heart disease, aortic dissection, pulmonary embolism, renal dysfunctions, acute neurological events such as stroke or subarachnoid hemorrhage, hypo and hyperthyroidism. In patients with confirmed ACS, dual antiplatelets are recommended. This is usually an aspirin combined with a P2Y12 receptor inhibitor. In the UK, we commonly use clopidogrel, ticagrelor or prazogrel. Anticoagulants such as unfractionated heparin, anoxaparin or fondaparinux is used in NSTEMI patients before PCI. Other management is similar to chronic coronary syndrome. Prevention medications include the beta blocker, ACE inhibitor and statin, but at a higher dose such as atorvastatin 80mg. Thank you for listening to this podcast on acute and chronic coronary syndrome. 
and thank you for subscribing to Scrubbed In.